values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Big reminder, we are still giving away or giving you an option. We are going to ultimately give away a pair of tickets today for Game 5 if you want to go and see the Suns versus the Clippers. But in order to hear your name called, you've got to register. You can register by texting the word TICKET to 411923. It's that simple. We will be calling one out on this show in the 11 a.m. hour. And then Gatos and Chad will be doing it in the 4 p.m. hour. But register by going to uh, by uh, texting the word TICKET to 411923. So I have a... An interesting dilemma here. Um, Two headlines. You know how much I like to read headlines and then kind of compare them. The shift to electric vehicles is revving up in Phoenix. Uh, Electric vehicles accounted for 9.2% of monthly new vehicle registrations in Phoenix in January, up from 3.3% the year earlier, almost triple from a year before. But now here's a question. Arizona big utilities say they have enough power for the summer. Here's why they're worried. Those are just the headlines. I'm not getting to the meat of the stories here yet. This is one of the criticisms I've had about this, what seems to be a, an irrational push toward electric vehicles. You know, I've, I've been in, in the – I was an electrician for years. If you listen to the show, I've talked way too much about it. But I remember when solar energy was still kind of at its infancy, and there was a big push for people to try solar. And I grew up in Florida, and the other time I lived, I've lived here in Arizona. Very, you know, the Sunshine State is what they call Florida. So those are two places where solar energy, if it's going to work very, very well, those are going to be the two places. Wouldn't you think? The desert southwest and Florida. And um, I watched – the industry change as it went on. And I'm a believer. I will tell you that I think um, if anybody is going to be able to harness solar energy, do it effectively and do it well, we are prime for that here. The industry has changed quite a bit. It has become so much more efficient and so much more relevant over time. But there was a time when it was being pushed because people knew it was the future that I don't know that the industry was ready for it. Well, you look at the EVs now. This White House believes that climate change is the biggest issue that this world faces. And so everything that they seem to be going toward, I have a story in this pile about Mayor Adams in New York and a big push from the mayor's office encouraging New Yorkers to eat plant-based food to stop climate change. And and again, I'm not a subscriber. I'm, just to be honest, I think the earth cools and the earth warms, and I think there's things we can do to keep our planet clean and pure, and we should – But the idea that man-made climate change is the disaster of our lifetime is not something I subscribe to. And we can argue about it, but this president believes it's the number one issue the world's facing. And so we're pushing in a direction of EVs. There's a conversation to be had about the, the, the environmental damage that's done by mining all of the minerals that are necessary to build the batteries. And is that good for the environment? All that's a conversation for a different day. This conversation is about viability. Last year, I think it was last year, the governor of New York, Gavin Newsom, said there in the legislature, we are going to outlaw gas powered vehicles in our state by 2030. And half of California cheered because they're they're environmentalists. Either the same day or the next day, they came out with an announcement that said, hey, by the way, if you have an electric vehicle, don't charge it right now because we have such a strain in our electric grid with the heat that it's going to it's going to cause blackouts if you charge your car. Here in Arizona, we're applauding this huge expansion of of electric vehicles, and we're questioning whether or not we have the electric grid for our needs in the summer. 
Does that, is that not putting the cart before the horse? And it absolutely is. There is a full court press with tax credits and everything else from the White House and from the government in Washington, D.C. in a push toward electric vehicles, and we're not ready for it. Let's say they are as successful as they want to be. We are going to see, and I'm just – at this part of it, I am somewhat of an expert. The electric grid, I'm not an expert in, but I've designed – Projects for a small electric grid, for homes, for apartment complexes, for buildings, for commercial spaces, where you are doing a demand calculation, that you are making sure that the availability of power in that building is not exceeded by the demand you're going to put on it. And that's exactly what the engineers are much smarter than I am are going to have to do if we continue down the road of this massive expansion in electric vehicles. And so I've used this example before. If you own, if you're, if you live in an apartment, if you are someone that lives in an apartment and you can afford an electric vehicle so you buy one, let's say we get to this 25% number or 50% number. Do you have any idea what a strain it will put on the electrical capabilities of an apartment complex to have enough charging stations because most people work days and they're home at night charging their vehicles? Do you have any idea how overloaded that electric grid, that, ele- that power supply becomes at the main when you have all of those cars charging at the same time. Uh, this is and it's this is an observation as much as it is a criticism because you're going to have to retrofit a lot of these places. That's an expensive proposition, but you also have to calculate. You have to have an engineer come in and stamp this that says what you are adding here fits within the confines of the capabilities of the grid you have. If not, you have to upgrade your service. So just before you leave the property with the power company, just you alone, whatever size service you have in that building, if it's not enough, you've got to retrofit and change out your entire electric service. And upgrade the capabilities of that service. Well, if enough places in the grid in your neighborhood do that, the power company has a problem. That's another thing they factor in when when these new neighborhoods and new apartment complexes go in. That's exactly what the power company calculates. What size conduit do we have to have to feed the capabilities of this business? What kind of a draw are they going to have on the grid? Are we able to sustain that in the grid? These calculations are all done before they approve any project. And this is this is an issue. I'm not I am in favor of all kinds of advancement. I truly am. And if electric vehicles are the wave of the future, whether it's environmental reasons, convenience or just because we like them, I'm not against it. But we are pushing America in a direction that we are not ready for. And it doesn't seem like anybody cares what is going to happen if we get to that magic number. In a very short time, and we start overloading the electric grid. And you don't think that's possible with the massive number of people that are moving to Arizona. On top of that, the increase in electric vehicles, it's an absolute possibility. And I just wonder who is looking at that and saying, okay, we better do something about that right now. And I, I, you know, I think I'm going to reach out. SRP, APS, and find out how how capable they are. And I don't think you're going to have anybody say they're not capable, but I want to find out what they're doing to keep up with this demand. I think it's fair for all the people to know. It's not just about going to government for answers. Let's go to the source. Let's go to the power companies. And I think we're going to try to do that. Coming up in a moment, um, home prices up for the first time since last June. 
but it's not all good news. We'll get to it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So let's talk about home prices. U.S. home price growth, slowest in a decade. San Francisco market is crashed, according to this story from Zero Hedge. Um, But also what we are seeing is a growth for the first time. This is nationally since February, first time since June that we have seen growth, uh, 0.2% rise. Now, there's a kind of a difference here in the valley. Uh, We're in kind of a – we're insulated. But what does this say about the national market? As a matter of fact, here's the issue here in the valley. And this is one of those questions that when I talk about government's efficiency, it's not a partisan statement. It is just, I think, in my mind, it's based in fact that government by nature is inefficient, and and which is one of the reasons why I am a a I favor a small government. I think government should be as small as possible. I think because the solutions to our problems largely are handled better in the private sector than they are in the public sector. I, I, it's just how I feel about it. That I think cities, if you're going to prioritize, if I were running for a public office in a city or at the county level, even maybe at the state level, I would say the priority should be, first of all, it should be public safety. That if you are a member of a city council, a town council, county board of supervisors, or a member of the state legislature or the governor's office, that number one, First and foremost, we should have fully funded, fully operational, fully equipped, fully staffed public safety. That should be our number one goal, that public safety comes first. We need police officers. We need firefighters. We need them having the equipment that helps them do their job more efficiently. We need as many of them as we can get to make sure response times for crimes or emergencies are as low as possible. We need fire stations everywhere. We need more of them. We need response times from firefighters, and we need the life-saving equipment that they need to protect themselves and protect the public. The wash-down kits on fire trucks, a simple idea that I think every fire truck should and probably does have now. And it's because of the carcinogens that firefighters face on a daily basis. They understand that cancer is now a work-related risk for firefighters. These wash-down kits allow them to wash their gear down before they walk away from a scene, dramatically diminishing the amount of carcinogens they're exposed to. So that's just a simple solution to a big problem within public safety, but it should be the priority for every city and town. Secondly is infrastructure. Um, How many times have we heard stories about potholes and the roads are not properly maintained? That should be a huge issue. Sidewalks and, and bus stops. And, you know, those are the things that we should be concerned about. That's what government should be doing. Those are the main priorities of what they do. What we've seen happen recently is the prioritization of things is all over the place. And when you get elected to an office, people have their pet projects and we're going to do this and we want to be this kind of city and we want to be that. When the basics, I think everyone, this should be both parties should agree that there are basic priorities in a family. If you if you've ever been married or in a relationship where you're sharing finances, you know that the battles happen. But largely you agree in the basics. Got to pay the mortgage. Got to pay our insurance, got to pay our car vehicle payments, got, and then you got to keep the electricity on and the water on. All of those, no one argues that those are the priorities. Where you get into the arguments are what do you do next? What do you do other than that? 
Are you someone that is an adventure person that would rather spend money on an experience? Or are you a possession person that would rather buy something and have it so I can look at it and keep it forever? Those are the arguments. Well, in government, those should be the the arguments as well. We should all agree on the priorities. We should all fully fund the priorities. And then let's figure out how we're going to fund and finance the other things. But that's not what happens. Here's an example. People waiting years on the Phoenix housing voucher wait list. This is from a uh, uh, this is from a Channel Three, um, Three TV, CBS Five. Uh, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, formerly known as Section Eight Vouchers, uh, is a lifeline to struggling families. It's designed to help low income people pay their rent, but people in Phoenix are waiting years to get assistance. So. We can argue about the value in public assistance, but when we have a program that people need and can't get, and another group of people, let's just be really blunt about it, are paying for, um, and you know, we can argue the validity of whether or not people should be paying for these things. That's a, that's a political conversation, but when you have the program in place – when one group of people's tax dollars are paying for it so that lower income families can be assured that they're going to have a voucher to go and live somewhere and people are waiting years in the program, that's a governmental problem. Is it that there aren't enough houses to go around in Section 8? Is it that the program is inefficient and very slow to react for people's needs? These are what – if you're going to have a government program, this is why I think there's an inefficiency in government. If this was a private business where they had a bottom line, it wasn't tax dollars that were being fed into this thing. If it was live or die, sink or swim, you would have people saying, what's wrong? What are we doing wrong here? Why is it this isn't working? Because we're going to fail. If if this doesn't work, we're going to fail. People won't come to us. People won't spend their money here, whatever it is. This is why the private sector is better at these things. When there is inefficiency and a failure to do what you were directed to do, you either get fired and somebody else does the job or the business goes away. So everybody should be upset about this. Yes, the low-income families that depend on this for shelter should be upset that it's taking this long. But the taxpayers that pay into a system like this that have entrusted a government agency with delivering it, and they're not. And we, are, we don't get in a situation where we hold people accountable. This is, the, this is why I'm a small government advocate. So it's just one more of those issues. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, law enforcement officers. We had a conversation yesterday with the county attorney from Maricopa County. Um, But we continue to see law enforcement agencies, heads of law enforcement agencies across the country, furious with the lack of enforcement and the lack of prosecution. I've got a couple of stark examples of why people are furious at the system. We'll talk about them all next. Work all night and a drink a rum. Daylight come and we want Stop banana till the morning come. Daylight come and we want Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. This is another age-specific text. If you hear this song and you're not thinking about Beetlejuice, you're probably much younger than I am. Am I wrong? Don't look at me. I didn't see Beetlejuice. What is it with you and some of these iconic movies? I don't do movies very much. I used to get a lot of grief about having never seen The Godfather. Oh, my gosh. 
I'm shocked. I've never seen it, um, and I when I was working downtown at Chase Field, I got abused about it. Oh my gosh! I own the I own the box set back when people had DVDs of all the Godfather movies, and a special one that showed behind the scenes stuff. That's what a fan I was. Yeah, but, never seen the Godfather, and you've no, never seen it, Beetlejuice. No, I love Michael Keaton. I do too. Watched Batman the other night. <laughs> This is such a great movie. So, obviously, we're not playing this because of Beetlejuice, but because Harry Belafonte passed away. Um, We've got to talk about this crime and punishment thing because it's not going away, and I'm not going to stop talking about it. And I think most people are. We're having a major conversation in this country about violent crime, guns specifically, but violent crime. It doesn't – if you are someone that's a victim of a violent crime, does it really matter what you're attacked with? A baseball bat, a hockey stick, a knife, a spear, or a gun, either way, dead is dead. And we've seen an uptick in violent crime. People are concerned. We see more and more people getting gun permits. I should gun permits, doing background checks and buying guns. And the reason why we're seeing it, I think, is twofold. Number one, there is a legitimate concern by some people that some of their rights will be diminished. But the other part of it is self-protection. Fastest growing demographic of new gun owners, black women. And I think that's fantastic. I think that... This The Second Amendment isn't race or gender specific. I think that we have an obligation as much as we have a right. Um, and I think that it, a, a, an armed society is a polite society. So the gun part of this I don't want to talk about at this moment. What I do want to talk about is this. A pure evil Florida police chief rails against criminal justice system after violent felon allegedly murders frail old man while out on bond in connection to yet another violent incident. That's just a headline. That is just a headline. Sheriff compares judges to Oprah show after rearrest of a suspect out on bail. And he said, you know, on the Oprah show, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. This uh, this sheriff said, everybody gets a bond. You get a bond and you get a bond going after the justice system. And here's where the frustration comes in, because there is a vested interest. As a citizen, I want to see justice. If I'm the victim, I want it even more. If you are part of the uh, group in our society that calls yourself law enforcement officers, if you've been sworn in as a law enforcement officer, you take an oath to protect people you've never met before. You're interacting with the part of society that cannot stay within the rules. They can't color within the lines. And you see the same people committing the same crimes over and over again because the justice system is a revolving door. It gets frustrating. I know it. Because I'm, I've come from a family of cops. You, when, you, when you're arresting someone, and here's something interesting. I've done quite a few, and it's been a while since I've done a ride-along, and I would love to do more of them just because I learn every time I do them. So if, you're, if there's an agency out there that would be willing to take me out, I, I've been with Phoenix a bunch. I've been with other agencies. I'd love to go out and do it again. Um, when I was riding along at one time with Phoenix, it dawned on me because I, I listen to the radio traffic. What happens, and I'm sure it's like this in other cities as well, there's a tone that goes out and the dispatcher will say um, emergency traffic. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's something deadly. It just means it's a crime in progress. It's a priority one call. Emergency traffic, and then they will say what's happened and where it's happening. And you also get a, in your computer, in the, in the car, comes a description of where you're going and what's going on. And many times, because 
because when you're with a squad, they patrol the same precinct. So you get to know the good people and the bad people. And there are many times you'll hear the radio traffic when someone's going to a call. Oh, that is so-and-so's house. This is the – we've been – you know. and then you hear the stories. I've been here so many times for this. We've been, you know, and it just, it gets frustrating. So here you have one police chief in one city and a sheriff in another county saying, hang on a minute. We are, we are putting ourselves at risk. And if you're the leader of the agency, I am putting my officers or my deputies are putting their lives at risk, putting their safety at risk to do their jobs. And they're doing their jobs. They're making arrests. They're getting good evidence. The detectives are working hard. We're making cases and people are just being let out on the streets and they're committing more crimes. This is frustrating. So that's from the cop point of view. How about the victim's point of view? If you are the victim of a crime, and I can tell you I've been the victim of a violent crime. And I can tell you if you don't feel as if the justice system is as angry as you are, you're furious. You want to know what keeps people from using street justice or getting street justice is knowing that the justice system is going to take care of it. But if you don't, People want to take the law under their own hands. Now, I didn't do that. But I will tell you I was furious. Furious. You know, uh, they arrested this guy, and it's a law. I've told this story a hundred times. I'm not going to tell it again. But I, I, I was stopping two guys from shoplifting. And uh, it is incredible that um, this happened I'm in fighting two guys in a parking lot until the police get there and never threw a punch, just kept them off of me and didn't do anything. I let the police and the justice system handle the whole thing. And they weren't going to prosecute this guy. Not only that, he skipped. He didn't show up in court. What a shock. We're going to release you. After threatening to kill somebody, after throwing liquor bottles at them, after doing your best to injure them, let him out. And what a what a miracle he did. I'm shocked he didn't show up in court. It took months. And then in another interaction with this guy, the police figured out he was wanted for skipping out on the crime he committed against me. And then when you find out he's finally caught and they're not going to prosecute. Now, and I and listen, understanding what I understand, which is the crime against me wasn't the crime of the century. Nobody was injured. Not at all. I wasn't injured at all. And it started out as a petty shoplifting over some liquor. I get it. Not the crime of the century. But I did everything the right way. And then to find out that this guy was back on the streets wasn't the first crime he committed. These are the kinds of things that are frustrating to people. And they're frustrating because we as a society are saying we follow the rules and you don't. And you get in the revolving door. Cops got to deal with you a second time. You commit crimes against other people. How many times does that have to happen before a judge or judges or the system says you're done? We are going to lock you away for quite a long time. You figure out if you want to rehabilitate yourself, but we're not – Putting up with this any longer. And until that happens, people are going to be frustrated. In a moment, the Arizona Department of Education improved changes to the ESA or the voucher program. We'll talk about it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app.
Garth Brooks, everybody. Um, back when he sang real cowboy music, I miss those days. I love Garth Brooks. I love Garth Brooks. Um, anyway, uh, I can get caught in the music every time we come back from a break. Uh, Arizona Department of Education approves changes to the ESA Parent Handbook. What I find interesting about this is the editorialization and some of the things that people say. I say everyone has their own um, bias. And I, I, I will tell you, professional journalists actually do their best to just give information. But there are just some things that are said sometimes that just give you insight into somebody's personal feelings. Doesn't change the thrust of the story. Doesn't change the story at all. But I want you just to hear how it starts. Department of Education board members made changes to the state's empowerment scholarship account uh, parent handbook. The controversial program allows parents to use portions. It's not a controversial program. What is controversial about it? It's only controversial if you're one of the people that don't like it. Everybody else thinks it's fantastic. As a matter of fact, how many states around the country have copied Arizona and expanded school choice through these kinds of programs? But it's controversial. The issue here, and there are a couple of valid questions, uh, and I ask them all the time, and I, I mean this very sincerely. I always try to find common ground if I can. In a conversation. If I can't, you can't. It turns into an argument that I've had lots of them. Um, but the common ground should be we all have to agree that there is a reason why so many parents want alternatives. The system was fine the way we grew up. And first of all, everything changes except education. Education, they want education to be exactly like it was unless the people that are involved change it. And life doesn't work that way. Things just change. I saw a story this morning that McDonald's is going to change a lot of things about the Big Mac, about their cheeseburgers, and about other food that they have. Everything changes. And education isn't changing the way a lot of people want. There are legitimate reasons why parents are looking for alternatives. Some of it is just performance-based. Some of it is the environment where kids that want to learn can't. I'm working and I'm working on some stuff that I'm going to be coming out with very soon in the Phoenix Union High School District and the crime that's being committed in the high schools around the district and the good kids that are terrified for their lives and are afraid to do anything about it and the teachers they can't say anything and people that are covering it up because they don't want it to appear that there's a lot of crime on their campuses. And I will tell you that it is something every one of us should be concerned about, from drugs to guns to knives to sexual assault and things that happen where good kids – you're in an environment – you wonder why – and we all ask the question, how come kids can't read? Why are kids not reading at grade level? Well, there's, some of them are just trying to survive in the environment they're in. Either way – the people that are established in the education industry, and it's not education I have a problem with, it's the politics of education I have a problem with. And the people involved in the politics and education have got to acknowledge that they are not performing in education. That nationwide, we have a horrible rate of literacy and proficiency in math. It's abysmal. So just on that alone... Many people want their children to have alternatives. 
The ones that can afford private school, send their kids to private school. Or they hire tutors. Or they send them to charter schools. Or if they can, they homeschool. Or they micro-school. There are all these other alternatives that are popping up. And the one acknowledgement that everybody should be making is there's a reason. If parents didn't just didn't decide one day, hey, I have an idea. Let's go be a thorn in the side of the school system. They didn't. This isn't something. And the other part is you marginalize parents by calling the parents extremists. That's not happening either. So this expansion of the voucher program is not going away. There's growing pains because of the large number of people that are using it. And I think they have to get it fixed. And I know they're working on it. And I hope they get it fixed quickly. But I don't think these programs are going away. And part of it is the tutoring requirements, what people should have. Well, if you and some of it, well, you have to be a certified teacher. Why? If you're a college student making extra money tutoring elementary school kids, if you're an English major and you're going to teach an elementary school child and tutor them in reading, I I just look at some of this and I think we are going in the wrong direction. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have qualified teachers. I don't want to lower standards. But the idea that we shouldn't make it easier for families to do what they need, um, it's interesting to me. Um, how this all happens. President Biden made a statement. I don't know if I I want you to hear this statement that the president made that had people up in arms. Do you agree with what the president says here or not? Rebecca put a teacher's creed into words when she said there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. That is what education believes. The Department of Education. These are our children. No. Mm mm. They're not. What's fascinating about that, the school system will tell you that it's our child until your child commits a crime or your child does something wrong. Then you pay the price. The system isn't going to. You are responsible for everything your child does, good or bad. If your child has a medical issue, you pay for it. They don't. If your child has a mental health breakdown, you pay for it. They don't. If your child commits a crime, does drugs, goes to jail, you pay for it. They don't. But other than that, it's our child. And it's that kind of mindset that I think it it makes people afraid. That's why parents are looking for alternatives. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, President Biden running for re-election. He made it official today. You'll hear some of the audio from his announcement because it was released very early this morning by video. So you'll hear some of it next.